Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Once again, if it's your first time, we are so glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for tuning in. We are getting close to being done with the summer. That's a reality, right? Like Thursday morning, I'm going to get up. I'm going to take both of my kids to school. That's a first for us. We got one in kindergarten this year. And I'm going to lose my summer intern. Um, and it also means some structure comes back to my life. Praise the lamb. Um, but it also means we're getting close to being done with our summer school series. We've got this week and we've got next week and then we'll wrap it up. Um, after that, we're going to go through a couple weeks in a series that we call We Are South Point. Um, whenever you get the new school year, it's kind of like we call it the, the second new year in the church world. And so we'll have a lot of people that are coming and checking things out. And we want to be really clear of, hey, this is who we are and this is what we believe and this is what we're about and what's important to us. And then we're going to start going through 1 Corinthians starting in September. But Today, we've got two more messages in the summer school series where we said, hey, there's just some areas where we know we can stop down and learn a little bit more about. And I'm pretty excited about today because today we're going to talk about us. We're going to talk about the church. Like, what is the church? What is this thing that we do on Sundays as we come together and as we live throughout the week? And from my perspective, I get, to, I get to watch the church from like up high a little bit where I get to see all the different things that are going on in it and I love it. Um, I love in the last week, last Saturday, we had two different funerals and we had people that were helping take care of different things and make it possible and man, just loving on people that were in a time of mourning. And I've watched throughout the week where different people will pop in and out of the office and we've got people that are printing things out and getting things ready for the weekend. And then I watched this morning um, as a couple of our guys broke into my office um, because I locked my keys in it for like the second time in the last year. Um, and, you know, it's a good Sunday morning at South Point when we have a breaking and entry. Um, and so, you know, keep your purse close because they, they got in pretty well. Um, and luckily I have my keys back. Um, but what is the church? It's a lot of different things happening at one time. We're not really a creed people, but if you are familiar with what's known as the Nicene Creed, it lists off a couple different things that we're going to talk about this morning. Some of them you're going to look at and go, I, I completely get that. And some of them you may see it and go, I don't, did I sign up for that? And you're going to see that, yes, it's actually a good thing. So let's go ahead and jump in. What is the church? First thing is this. The church is one. The church is one group coming together. In John chapter 17, I've said it many times, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. He prays some absolutely amazing things. He prays for us today. Like you sitting here listening, watching in 2021, Jesus prays for you. But in John chapter 17 and verse 9, he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That is a powerful prayer. This is Jesus Christ praying to the Father and saying, I know the relationship that I have with you. I have existed with you for all time and will exist with you for all time. We were there when we spoke into existence things like light, animals. Let us make man in our image. He was there and he says, I know that you and I are one. And this body, this church, I want them to be one as well. 
And if we look across the world today, man, sometimes we wrestle and struggle with that one. The church being one. Because a lot of times we can look around at this body and we go, hey, these are the people that I know and, and I, I, I think like-minded with and I attend the same church. But then we look across the street and go, well, that church, they're a little different, they're a little off and everything like that. And we don't consider ourselves one. When we're talking about the church, we're not just talking about South Point. The body of Christ is meant to be one, even if it doesn't seem that unified. There are so many things over the last 2,000 years that we have let divide when it comes to church. If you take just simply this morning, if you were to look around the room, Christians have found a way to argue over it. We have musical instruments up here. Oh, that's a guitar. That one's sinful. Like, that's what I was told growing up. Like, I grew up in a church where we had piano, organ, that's it. You don't bring those other things in. We, we have had worship wars where we fought over that and we let it divide us. And we've said, yes, you know, sometimes it's don't have any musical instruments or you don't have this one. And so it's divided us and we've splintered across that. Even preaching, we've let that splinter us. My goodness, you're not sitting in pews today. What is going on? Um, I'm using, these are real references that I've heard. We have argued over colors of carpet. <laughs> I had a guy tell me the color of a carpet at a church that I worked at years ago. And if you want to know what he called it, you're going to have to see me after service. But I was like, I don't think we need to use that adjective for the carpet. Like, it's just red carpet. Um, but we've argued over a number of things. What that's led to is, Lots of different denominations. And sometimes that has not made the church one. And yet, years ago, Jesus Christ, before he goes to the cross, prays to the Father and says, Father, let them be one as we are one. Often we forget that we are called to unity amongst great differences. Like as I look around the room, like, I hope our church continues a couple of things. One, I, I look out this morning, I see, I took my kids to the kids area. I see young kids. I see people that are early in their careers. I see people that are late in their careers. Age does not matter in the church. Race does not matter in the church. Economics do not matter in the church. One thing I will give the Catholic church, like I've got some pretty different theological views than them, um, but I'll give them this. They have their churches set up in what they call parishes, and it's basically a city area, and so it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter your edu education level. It was the church coming together, and that's what the church is supposed to look like. You should look across the church and go, I see people that don't look like me, because this is the body coming together as one, and sometimes the church has to learn, hey, there are certain things that are open hand. There are certain things that are closed hand. And for a long time, we, we often view it through a closed hand view. Everything I believe about the Bible is exactly right. And if you don't agree with it, you're wrong. That's the mentality we've had for a long time. And it has. It's led to a lot of different denominations. There's some things I've had to learn over time. I'm going to consider that an open hand issue. If I sit down with one of my best friends, he and I are wired very much the same theologically. But I guarantee you, you let us sit down for a while, we'll find something to disagree about. Because that's just how it goes. Like, there are 
mentors that I have that have poured into me and mentors that have been from afar that I've studied and learned and I've always found something where I go, I deviate a little bit from you in this area. That's kind of how it goes, but some of those you kind of have to learn that, you know what, just because you have a little different view or interpretation of that scripture, we can still be friends. Like, tons of different things. When it comes to baptism, when it comes to new earth, old earth, there's lots of different ways of looking at things. And over time, I've had to learn, hey, I need to be a little more open-handed on some of them. Because that lets us be one. So this fall, we're going to do a trunk or treat. We did one last year. We, we're going to partner with a church that's different than us, and that's okay. We did it last year. It was awesome, and wheels off if you were at Trunk or Treat last year. When, when you're the only place that does it in town, suddenly 2,000 people show up. It was, it was great. But we say, hey, yeah, they have a few different interpretations of some scripture than I do, but you know what? We can still get together and have lunch. We can still get together and partner together and bring our churches together. They help partner with us in the food pantry. It's one that God is calling everybody to be one. So there's some things that are open-handed. There's some things that are very much close-handed. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am close-handed on that one. If you try and tell me any other thing that gets you salvation, I do emphatically believe you're wrong. (laughs) And so today, in our world, there's lots of different things going on. And there's definitely beliefs that say, hey, we're Christians, but there's other ways in Jesus. And I go, no, you've missed it. You have definitely missed the mark. I'm super close-handed on that one. Um, But when we think about the church as one, if someone goes to a church that has first whatever on the name or second whatever on the name, greater whatever on the name, or just a name like South Point, what brings everybody together? It's Jesus. The same one that was praying for us to be united as one is the thing that brings all of us together. All of us, the church, the bride of Christ, looking at him going, that's what unites us. That's why you can take someone from across, anywhere, pick a place on earth. They don't look like you, they don't talk like you, but you say, hey, I'm a believer. And they say, I'm a believer. In that instant, there is a connection. There is something uniting those two people together, and it's Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that. Like the church needs to be one. We need to have more unity within the church. We, all, we talk about it a lot at South Point. We say unity is huge and important for us. And we've got to continue that. We've got to continue to reach out knowing that we've got brothers and sisters all over the place. So the church is one. The church is also holy. So if we were to read John chapter 17 verse 9 again, he says... I am praying for them, I am, praying, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Like the word church in Greek, it's this Greek word ekklesia. Um, the first part of it, ek, means to uh, out of, and kaleo means to call. So it, literally the church means those that are called out, called out of the world. Think back, if you're a believer in Christ, there was a time where you weren't. When we say in the world, like that, there were some things that you did that you said, I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ and follow him. Like it means to be called out. We are called out of this world. And throughout scripture, Jesus does a lot of this, or God does a lot of calling people out, right? 
And so he called Joseph out of his home into Egypt. Now, it was kind of a rough way to get there. His brother sold him into slavery. Um, and if you do the math, what the amount of money that they got, it's equivalent to about 20 bucks a brother um, to sell him into slavery. You got to have some weird, bad family issues for that to happen. But God called him. And he called him to Egypt because God is God. We talked about his holiness. We, we know that. We know that he knew the entire plan of, hey, there's going to come a day in this land of Egypt, a famine's going to hit. And I'm going to have my man in place. And he's going to lead. And he calls him out of what he thought was comfort and everything. And for a while it was tough. And then suddenly Joseph finds himself the number two man in all of Egypt. And then his family moves in. And they start growing and growing and growing, and the Egyptians look around and go, hey, what are we going to do with all these people? So back to slavery it was. And then you see God calling people out again. And he calls the Hebrews out of Egypt. And the kids learned about the, the ten plagues this morning. First, Logan said, hey, we learned about seven plagues. I'm like, there's some more. Um, let's, let's, get, let's get all of them in there. But they learned about that, and they learned how God called his people out of Egypt. That's why in Leviticus chapter 11... Verse 45 says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. See, the church is called to be holy. We talked about this last week. We, we looked at the holiness of God, and we looked at this magnitude, and I can look at it, and I can study it, and I can try and wrap as much of my mind around his holiness. But then we looked in Peter and saw that Peter was quoting this. He said, God says, I'm holy, you are to be holy. And we said, hey, that's a high calling. God can be holy because he is. (laughs) He is all holiness. And yet we've been called to do the same. We've been called to be set apart. The church is called out of the world. The church, this wonderful gathering of one body, many different parts, lots of different skills, lots of different faces. But the church is called to be holy. And if the church is called to be holy, it does mean that we're going to be set apart a little bit from the surrounding world. One, when people come to church, they should see something different. There's been a thing in the last number of years, um, and this is one where I I differ a little bit, where in the church world, it's like, man, we got to be really attractional. Like, we got to, it's got to be something that's going to attract people in. Like, we got this figured out. And so I've been a part of a, worship service where it was like, hey, we're going to open every service with a secular song somebody hears on the radio, that way they feel comfortable and everything, and I I differ on that a little bit. Like, we're called and set apart. I'll be really, pastor confession moment, I don't listen to a lot of worship music when I'm driving around. I'm an old man, I listen to like sports talk radio. Um, And if it's not that, it's probably a 90s alternative station. Um, But when I come to church, I'll I'll sing them in the car when y'all aren't around. But when I come to church, I don't want to sing an Oasis song. Like, I want to worship. Like, the church has been set apart, called out of this world to where when someone comes here, they see something different. It's not about us. It's about worship of him. We should have a different standard of living. That doesn't mean that, hey, you go to church, your standard of living is going to be you're making, you know, big six figures every year. No, but, like, our lives, when we're out, the church is not just here in these walls, Right? When we're out, the way that we treat people, the way that we act, the way that we live our lives should be a mirror image of the holiness that God has. And so when we're out and about, 
whether you're at Market Street or at work or wherever it is, we should be a mirror image of God. We should be called to holiness. That means that we're going to love people. Like people are going to experience love from us unlike they're going to experience it in the world. It's not going to be to try and take advantage of a situation. It's not going to be to try and maneuver and manine things. We should just love the way that God loved us. We should be generous the way that God is generous. We should be gracious. Any time that I am not gracious, I have forgotten the love that God has for me. He poured out an unbelievable amount of grace on a dumb kid. And I have been called to share that grace with others. Like any time that we are not gracious, we are not being the mirror image that God has called us to. Then there's times where we need to be righteously angry about things. Anger is a sin, but there are certain things that we should look around in the world and go, you know what? That angers me because I know it rails against God. And it becomes a righteous anger. Understanding, hey, God is all about justice. (laughs) And there's times where you look in Scripture, Jesus looks around the temple and goes, hey, there's things happening right now, not supposed to happen. What does he do? He makes a whip, flips some tables over, and drives all the money changers out. I like that Jesus. I always make the joke, when he wanted to hit someone with the whip, he never missed. He's Jesus. Hide behind something, he's still going to get you. Like, there's times where we need to look around and go, you know what? I know what God has done in my life calls me to make a change in this area. When we see things that are wrong, we say, hey, I'm going to lovingly and graciously try and be a part of a change in that. And one day, one day the church will be fully holy. I look forward to that day. If you've ever been to a wedding that I've officiated, like it's a script that I always go through because you do a wedding, only one person can mess it up, and it's me, so there's, that's fun. Um, but I talk about the bride of Christ. It's one of my favorite images in Scripture. That, you know, one day there's going to be this, what the Scripture calls the wedding supper of the Lamb. Christ is the groom and the church is his bride. See, on a wedding day, in the future you'll say, that's my spouse, that's my wife. But on your wedding day, that's my bride. It's almost like this special word because everything is about as perfect as it's going to be planned and everything like that that dress perfect right now the bride's dress is a little little wrinkled yeah i'm really ever seen a bride that walked down the aisle in a wrinkled dress like that's kind of a big deal right right now the bride's dress is a little wrinkled but man on that day when we're in heaven with him for all eternity those wrinkles are gone and the church is going to be exactly what it's been called to be and it's called to be holy so the church is one the church is holy, and the church is Catholic. Now, some of you are like, come again? <laughs> You're thinking, hey, his last name's Pope. This is a takeover. Um, no, no. Notice that's, a, that's a, not a capitalized C. Um, really what Catholic means is, the word Catholic means um, universal. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, Y'all get the full sermon. I totally blew past this one in the first one. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It was a wheels-off morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. 
It says, built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the land, uh, temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Catholic just means the church is universal. The church is all over the place. So many times, like, we get so wrapped up, and, and not in always bad ways, but we think, of, we think of the church in South Point. We're here in Abilene, but the church, it is everywhere. Right now in America, because of time zones, there are people worshiping. Several hours ago, somewhere out in a place that probably can't pronounce, I would bet most of us don't speak the language, somewhere in Africa, somewhere in Asia, a church service happened. And people gathered together and they did what we did. They sang worship songs. God's word was opened and in a tongue that I don't even know it was proclaimed. Because the church is bigger than just this room. The church is everywhere. And so you've got brothers and sisters all over the world. And some of you may never meet until heaven. But like I said earlier, if you sat down with someone and said, I'm a believer, and they say they're a believer, suddenly there's this realization that this thing is so much bigger than us. And praise God for that. They used to say the sun never sets on the British Empire. The sun never sets on the church. It is everywhere. And so I know I've got friends in Venezuela. And they got together in a little cinder block church. And, man, they sang. And I guarantee the pastor proclaimed the word of God. I've got friends in Canada doing the same thing. Get the opportunity to meet some of our missionaries this week that I did not think I was ever going to get to meet. I'm pretty excited about it. They're doing some work on the other side of the world in places that they're one of the ones that we don't, we don't share their names because it's a safety issue. The church is everywhere, and it's all at the same time. That's why in Hebrews it talks about, hey, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and it listed off some of these massive names in the Old Testament, and it says, they're surrounding, they're watching. So who's at church today? A lot of people. We're millions. Like, we, we're mega church <laughs> because we're surrounded by that same cloud of witnesses. That means Moses is watching our worship today. That means Paul, who I love Paul. In, like, in, in church tradition, they say he was a little bit shorter, so I kind of like that too. Um, but, but Paul's watching. And when we're singing, Paul's seeing this happen. Then you skip forward and find the people that are highlights for you. Somewhere, Martin Luther from the 1500s, he's watching worship this morning. Charles Haddon Spurgeon watching worship this morning. Surrounded by these people in worship because the church is Catholic. Church is not only just all over the earth, it's all through time. It also means this. Some of those names y'all may have recognized. Throw in one that nobody recognizes. We're watching online now, so somebody in my family may know, but that means Bill Green's watching. Bill Green was a pastor that retired, gave me his library, instilled in me a love for reading and studying God's word. And he's in, he's in glory right now. He's part of that great cloud of witnesses. So the church is Catholic. And the last one, the church is 
apostolic. It's not a word we throw around all the time, but the church is apostolic. If I can get to Revelation, turning to the last page in the Bible is actually kind of hard sometimes. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 10, John writes this. He said, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So when we say the church is apostolic, we we sang this morning, Cornerstone. It's another one of my favorite references in scripture, this idea that Jesus is the cornerstone of the foundation. But scripture would also seem to say that there's more foundation. Not that it's greater than the cornerstone, but the apostles, the ones who wrote and gave us God's word, like we're built on that. That is our foundation. God's word becomes our foundation. And we build everything off of that. That's why I say, man, if I read anything in Scripture and it's different than what I want, Scripture wins. It's always going to win. Man, this is under such attack today. And the crazy thing is, there's, as Solomon would say it, there's nothing new under the sun. Shortly after Jesus was gone, there was a group known as the Gnostics. And they said that we have special information when it comes to the Bible that only we know, and it was heresy. And today, you've got people saying, I've got a new revelation that comes. Now, if, we're just going to be really based off of this. Like, when the church is not, it just doesn't become the church anymore. Like, I read some stuff about things, stuff called, like, progressive Christianity. It's progressive. It's not Christianity. Um, it's not based on the Bible. And, you know, we've arrived at a time where we're smarter than every generation that came before us. The crazy thing is, every generation thinks that at some point, right? Like, a couple hundred years ago, there were people going, hey, you know, the enlightenment happened, and oh my gosh, we are the most intelligent people God has ever put on the earth, but they didn't really believe in God. Um, and in 2021, like, everyone's an expert on everything, and there's so many things that are said about the Bible that just aren't in there. And so many things that are tried to be backed up from the Bible that just aren't in there. And so the church builds off of this. We grow off of this. We build everything out of it. Like this is the primary way that he's communicated to us for 2,000 plus years. God's word. In times where people begin reading it and think, oh, this is just some book. And something comes alive in it. Because God was all over this. He inspired these words. And these people began to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so in the 30s A.D., Jesus is crucified, and suddenly you have the church. Peter starts preaching. People start gathering together. And, man, they, they believe that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and it was the only way that they were going to experience salvation was through his death. And they would gather, and it didn't take very long before Christianity became very persecuted. By about the 60s A.D., we definitely know it was happening. 
Christianity began to spread through the Roman Empire thanks to guys like Paul. And by the 60s AD, a guy named Nero, um, he definitely persecuted Christians. He, the city of Rome caught on fire at one point. He was not playing a fiddle. Um, but he needed somebody to blame. And he went, let's blame the Christians. Because the early church was looked at as a little weird. One, they thought they were cannibals. Two, they thought they were incest. Um, because we've apparently used some Christian terminology for a really long time. Christians would talk about, hey, we're going to take of Christ's body and blood, talking about the Lord's Supper, talking about communion. That doesn't sound weird to us today, but a long time ago they were like, they're eating some dude. Um, and then they would talk about, this is my brother and my sister, and, um, but their brother or sister was their spouse. Um, and they're like, this is, this is strange. Like, we've, we've had terminology that's confused people for a long time. Um, and so Christians were persecuted. To be a Christian, you were definitely all in. There was no doubt about it because Christians were sent into gladiator pits. Christians were put on poles and set on fire and used to light up parties for one of the Roman emperors. Like being a believer was a real thing. They knew they were dramatically changed by God. The early church, man, I cannot wait to talk to some of those people because they meant it completely. It was not a hobby to go to church back then. And then we had some big moments in time. Around early 300s A.D., a Roman emperor named Constantine had a, said he had a vision, saw the form of a cross and said, conquer in this name. And shortly thereafter, Christianity became the national religion of the Roman Empire, the biggest empire in the entire world. And it was a huge shift because now... If you wanted to be in public office, you had to be a Christian. And so you started to see, for the first time, cultural Christianity, where people said, hey, this benefits me, works out for business. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And you had this shift where it went from, man, this was a definite commitment to this is something where there's times people think they are, but they're not. And that's continued on to today. There's so many people I talk to, uh, are, you, are you a believer? Uh, yeah, my, my grandpa was pastor at the Baptist church. I'm like, it's not hereditary. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not how this works. Not how any of this works. But, man, you had this huge shift. And you had the rise of the Catholic, capital C, Catholic church, the only church. And you had bishops and popes and everything like that and hummed along for a 1,000 years. And then in the 1500s, man, the church had a lot of issues, basically pay off sin, things like that. Um, and one guy named Martin Luther said, hey, I'm reading the Bible, and that's not how this goes. And so on October 31st, 1517, he presented 95 thesis arguments to the Catholic Church. It's what we call Reformation Day. It's the day that a lot of people celebrate Halloween. Um, I got engaged on that, that day, and Whitney will tell everyone he did that because it was Reformation Day, and he could remember our engagement. Um, <laughs> But, man, the church had a very big change. That's where Protestant, which we are in this church today, came from. Because you had people rising up. You had things like what we call the solas where they said, hey, you know what? We're going to point this back towards being apostolic, towards the words of God. And we're going to point people towards that. And then a couple hundred years later, some people got on a boat because they wanted a little more religious freedom. Showed up a little place called America. Church started growing here. You had the first great awakening. Man, God doing huge, big things in evangelism. Second great awakening. And somewhere within that, 
I'm fairly sure, someone accepted Christ and changed their trajectory. And they poured that into their family, and eventually someone came to know Christ and felt called to ministry and said, I'm going to plan a church. I'm going to plan a church in Abilene, Texas. And I wish I knew the history of the church where I work at. Uh, it's been lots of different things over the years, but somebody started it here. Um, in 1996, some people at a church called Heritage Baptist Church decided, hey, let's just purchase some property on Buffalo Gap. Not a lot of traffic on it. Um, it is now. 2002, it became South Point Church. All throughout time, God continuing to bring his body together to 2001 where we sit today to where in 1517 Martin Luther couldn't have even imagined talking to an iPhone and then being broadcast across the world and here we are today we're holy, we're one we're universal and we're based on God's word I pray that can always be said about us and I pray that we continue that. People gave and did lots of things years ago that made this possible today. And if Jesus doesn't return, we are making an investment in the future of the church today. With the lives that are being reached, our kids and students that are growing, there's going to come a day I'm not going to be doing this anymore. Somebody else is. And we have the opportunity to be that church to them now. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, I'm so thankful that you've called the church together. This body with many parts, God, and the, just to see the different ways that you have blessed and gift so many people. You invite us into this family. But the only way that we become that is through your son, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if there's anyone that's here today or watching online that's never made that personal and said, yes, it's, it's not about somebody in my family went to church, but you know that you need Jesus. Every time we say that name, something just stirs in you. Pray that you know that's the Holy Spirit just prompting, giving faith to believe. If you've never made that personal, but you want to do that today, I would encourage you to say, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of my life. And the instant someone does that, they are a part of that body. They are a part of the bride of Christ. And so if you did that today, I'd encourage you to put that on a connect card. Come and talk to me. We want to talk about that and celebrate it. God, I pray that we would continue to reach out and do the things that you've called us to. And God, as best as we can, be holy because you're holy. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.